Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. You know what, Lucas? You know what, Lucas? I know how you could encourage me. Let me win at golf, like once a season would be great. Hey, if you've spent any time around the church or church people, whether you're watching online or in person right now, maybe you heard somebody quote the verse Joshua 1, verse 9. Joshua 1, verse 9 says this, Be bold and strong, banish fear and doubt. For remember, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be bold and strong, banish fear and doubt. For remember, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's so inspirational and it's so encouraging, except for when it is not. Like, what do I do on the days that I don't feel very bold and strong? What, what do I do on the days that I feel nervous, anxious, and afraid? And what do I do on the days that I know in theory that God is with me wherever I go, but I honestly don't feel his presence? What do I do then? See, I think that's a really, really important question. And I want to talk about a principle with you today as we start that I think is demonstrated really, really powerfully by going back one verse, from Joshua 1, verse 9 to Joshua 1, verse 8. Joshua 1, verse 9. Be bold and strong, banish fear and doubt, for remember the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1, 8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Be bold and strong. Banish fear and doubt. For remember, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Read the Bible. You know why? Because the Bible is a book of vision. Man, where, where are we going to go? But it's also a book of logistics. And that's really, really important. You know, I'm a vision guy. So, so as a vision guy, I can usually say, we're here right now. I know that we got to get there, Okay. In fact, I could probably do a pretty decently convincing job of telling you why we simply can't stay here anymore and we must, must, must make it over to here. Where I struggle at times is with logistics. In other words, how do we get from there to here? What are the steps that we need to take? And it's important for me to tell you that the Bible is a book of vision and it's also a book of logistics. The what and the how. Right? And this book that we're in right now, the book of 1 Timothy, which is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to this pastor named Timothy who pastored a church in a city called Ephesus. It's a church a lot like ours, actually. And it's a very, very logistic book. Okay, because what do we, what do we know that we need? We, what we know that we need in life, what we, what we know that we need as a church, because the book of 1 Timothy, by the way, talks all about life in the church. For you and for me, life must be lived in the church, with the church, with each other. And so 1 Timothy talks about the fact, hey, look it, we want to get to a place where we really know God better. Know God. We want to find freedom, and we want to change the world. We want to know God, we want to find freedom, and we want to change the world. That's it. That's it. Because if I know God better, I'm going to have a deeper sense of faith and encouragement and purpose and vision for my life. 
And if I find freedom, in other words, if I can free myself from all the obstacles that are keeping me from being the person that I was created to be, being the husband I was created to be, being the father I was created to be, then I'm gonna walk more and more in God's freedom. And how do I change the world? Well, that's simple. As I know God, I will help others know him. And as I found freedom, I will help others find freedom too. And then the world changes one life, one story at a time. We gotta know God. We gotta find freedom. And by the way, let me repeat to you again. We're only truly gonna find the freedom that we need in our lives together, together, together. That we're part of God's family and, and God's expression of God's family in my life, in your life right now, is this church. We need each other. And so that's why it's so important to me to remind you again that today at 1230, right after this service, we're running Southside 101. It's a, it's a chance to step into doing life together. There's food and there's childcare. It doesn't matter if you went last week. doesn't matter if you went the week before. This week can be your first week. And let me tell you this. we got a lot more people actually watching online than are even in person right now. So if you are online, I want to welcome you again. And I want to tell you something. You need people in your life too. So I'm going to ask you a favor right now. Text 101 to 604-670-3040 because we have a 101 for you too. Okay, but here's this book of 1 Timothy, and this book of 1 Timothy says, look, we want to know God, we want to find freedom, we want to change the world. Okay, how? 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 That's 1 Timothy. It's a letter of instruction. It's logistics. And so last week we went through 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we talked about three key logistical steps. Today, I just want to go through 1 Timothy chapter 2, just the first half, and I just want to give you one step. Just one step. Just one logistical step, and here it is. It's prayer. And I got something absolutely profound for you right now. Here's what's crazy. That doesn't make any sense to you. On some level, it doesn't make any sense to me either. You see, Mike, I, I thought we were talking about logistics, and now you're talking about prayer. Prayer's not logistics. Prayer's not concrete. Prayer's like burning incense and lighting candles and doing Gregorian chants and speaking in old English like thee and thou and thy, words that I would never actually use in real life. Look, prayer isn't that. Look, if you, if you want to burn incense and light candles and do Gregorian chants, knock yourself out, honestly. But, but don't pray in old English, okay? That's so weird and it just freaks everybody out. But prayer isn't that. Prayer is absolutely logistic. You know what prayer is? Prayer is just a conversation between you and your heavenly Father. That's it. It's talking to God. You, you speak either out loud or in your heart, either by yourself or in a group, and you talk, and you expect God to speak back. Now, I know for me, God has never spoken audibly to me, but he still speaks. He speaks with impressions in my heart. He, he speaks sometimes when you open up your Bible and maybe you come to a verse for the first time and it totally makes sense, or a verse that you've read a hundred times in your life and all of a sudden it speaks to you in a different way. Or he arranges circumstances so you get it, right? You don't know every step, but he shows you your next step. Or maybe he sends somebody to you and they say something like this, man, I, I don't know why, but I feel like I'm just supposed to tell you this one thing. Prayer isn't ethereal. 
Prayer isn't Gregorian chants and burning incense and lighting candles. If you want to do that, knock yourself out. But again, don't say weird old English words that you would never use in regular conversation. Prayer is incredibly logistic. So if you ask me today, does prayer matter? I would say this. Well, that depends. Prayer only matters if you want to win. Remember who wrote this. This is the Apostle Paul who wrote this, you guys. The Apostle Paul talked about living life as a follower of Jesus. He compared it to a race and a fight, like getting in the ring and having a fight. And the goal when you run a race is to win. The goal when you fight a fight is definitely to win. Does prayer matter? Well, that depends. It does matter if you want to win. This is massive. And if we could just get this one thing today, just this one thing, if we could figure out that prayer is actually logistic, man, we're going to win. We're going to win. So let me read 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, requests, and thanksgivings be offered to God for all people. Does prayer matter? It does, if you want to win. So today I want to talk about the why of prayer, the how of prayer, and the when of prayer. Why, how, when. First of all, why do we pray? Two reasons, two Ps. Because it's proper and it's powerful. Why do we pray? Because it's proper and it's powerful. First, first of all, prayer is proper. When, when, when you pray... When, when, when you have a conversation with your Heavenly Father, you are making a statement whether you know it or not. And that statement is, God, I need you. God, I need you. I, I want to really dig into that statement for a second. Three simple words. I need you. First two words. I feel like I'm doing charades. Two words. First two words. I need You know you do, right? Like, you need. It's a really interesting confession to actually admit that you need. Like, like, like to understand that there's some things that you really want for your life, man. Like, you, you, you want to get to a point in your life where you experience so much freedom that you can actually live a life setting other people free. You want to get to a point in your life where you have so much hope that you can give other people hope. You want to get to a place in your life where you have so much joy that you can actually help other people experience joy. You, you want to get to a place in your life where you experience so much purpose and freedom that you can actually share that, help other people find freedom and find their purpose. But here's the deal. Here's what we all know. Every single person on the planet today, deep down inside, knows this. I need. I can't pull all that off on my own. I really can't. I'm not able. In my own strength... To do it. There's limitations to what I can pull off on my own. I need. It's a confession. And what's the third word? God, I need you. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. You say, God, I need you. I'm not able, but you're able. That only through you, God, can I find a place of hope and a, a place of strength and courage and freedom so much so that I can actually share it with others. I need you. You say, well, God, or Mike, isn't that kind of humiliating? 
prayer, you know, saying, I, I, I need you, admitting that you can't pull it off, I would suggest that it is the exact opposite of humiliating. Those first two words, I need. Do you know everybody on the planet today, deep down inside, knows that they need? Everyone you know, everyone you ever met has figured it out. Deep down inside, they know it. I can't pull all of this off on my own. So you know what prayer is? Prayer is so proper because prayer says this. Uh, I can't make it on my own. Guess what? We all know that. We innately know that we can't make it on our own. But prayer says, I don't have to. That's it. I can't make it on my own. But the follower of Jesus says, ah, but here's the good news. Here's the good news. I don't have to. It's this stature, it's this posture of confident humility. So why do we pray? Number one, because it's proper. Number two, because it's powerful. Prayer changes you. And it also changes circumstances. So first of all, prayer changes you. Philippians chapter four says this, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind. In other words, those days that I don't feel bold and strong, those days that I feel anxious, God says, present your requests to me. Even the things that you think to yourself, I shouldn't really feel anxious about that. God doesn't care. What are you afraid of? What are you nervous about? What are you anxious about? Present those requests to God. And God says, he'll give you his peace. Let me step back like a half a step from that. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, chapter one, verse eight. So you gotta know this, that Jesus has died on the cross. He rose again, and he's been training the disciples. He's been saying, look, I'm gonna establish this thing called the church through you, and I'm gonna change the world. So I'm gonna send up to heaven, and then you're gonna establish the church. I'm gonna help you, it's gonna be incredible. And so in Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus says this to his followers. He says, you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. What a crazy concept. That if you are a follower of Jesus here today, that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from death to life is alive and well in you. And here's the thing. You wonder to yourself, uh, I don't really see it. You know, I want to I be bold and strong, but I don't necessarily feel that way. That doesn't feel very powerful to me. The Bible says one of the ways that you'll see that God's power is playing out in your life is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You say, well, that's not really me. Or maybe you've known people in your life before and they've been following Jesus for years and you look at them and you go, I don't see any power. Well, how can that be? Because the minute, the second that we begin to follow Jesus, the same power that raised him is alive and well in us. How come it isn't playing out in our lives? Well, James chapter four says it this way. You don't have because you don't ask. 
You don't have because you don't ask. You don't have because you don't ask. Ask him. Ask him. God, I want to live a powerful life. I, I want to be bold and strong, but I don't feel that way right now. Man, I want to be full of faith. I want to be a generous person. I want, I, I want to be a faithful person. I want to be a kind person, but I'm not feeling it right now. I need your power. Please, I need your power that is already in me to work itself out in my life, in my character. You don't have because you don't ask. Prayer is powerful. It changes you and it changes circumstances. That's a pretty controversial thing to say, by the way, that prayer changes circumstances. Because there's some people that would look at you and go, well, what do you mean? Like, God's sovereign. It just happens. I, I didn't say that prayer changes God's character, did I? But I'm telling you right now, prayer changes circumstances. I'll give you two examples. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, there's this little book called the Book of Jonah. Okay, Book of Jonah. I just love it. So God comes to Jonah one day. He says, Jonah, I got a job for you. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to go to the capital of the Assyrian Empire, this city called Nineveh. 120,000 people living in Nineveh, Jonah, and I need you to go tell them that they need to repent. Okay, because Nineveh was like evil, bloodthirsty, sadistic. Just like a nightmare for the world at that time. Just causing nothing but heartbreak and destruction throughout the entire world. And so God says to Jonah, I need you to go preach to them that they need to repent or I'm going to destroy them. And Jonah says, I like the last part of that. You're going to destroy them? I'm not going anywhere near Nineveh. I'm not preaching to them. Just destroy them. So Jonah actually runs for it. He runs in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. He's like, go ahead. I'm not preaching to them. And, uh, and, and God brings him back to Nineveh. He sends a storm and a, and a whale. I'll tell you a story later. It's, it's incredible. But, but basically, God brings Jonah back to Nineveh. And so Jonah preaches. And it's the most hilarious sermon you've ever heard. He doesn't even put his heart into it. He doesn't even try. He walks around Nineveh, and this is what he says. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. Forty more days, and that's it. That's it. He's cheering for team destruction, man. He doesn't want them to repent. And guess what happened? This is great news for all preachers, by the way. Terrible sermon. God worked through it. I don't know if I like the amount of laughter from you there, Kyle. <laughs> the people of Nineveh repent. They cry out to God. And God doesn't destroy Nineveh. And Jonah is so mad. Because, because the thing is, Jonah does his little preaching thing. He's like, he didn't try. He's hoping it doesn't work. He grabs a lawn chair. He puts it up on a hillside, and he's tailgating. And he's like, he wants to watch God destroy Nineveh. He's like, this is going to be awesome, man. I can't wait. And when God doesn't destroy Nineveh, Jonah says, see, this is why I didn't want to come to Nineveh. You're gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, God. Man, that bugs me. It's just so annoying. And then Jonah gets extra mad because uh, the, the, the sun is beaten down on his head. He's a bald guy. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with being bald, right? I mean, you're a lot bigger than me. So I'm telling you, you and Jonah, cool, okay? So, but the sun is beaten down on his head. And so God sends this plant to shade Jonah's head. 
But the next day, God sends a worm, and the worm eats the plant. And Jonah says to God, just kill me. Just kill me. Like, first of all, you spare the stupid city, and now the plant. This is too much. Just kill me. And God, and this is, Jonah wrote this book, and this is the end of the book of Jonah. This is what the end of the book of Jonah says. God looks at Jonah and says, your flakes are, this is my translation, your flakes are so frosted over the loss of a plant, and you're upset that I had mercy on 120,000 people. Keep that story in mind for later. God changed circumstances in Nineveh. Why? Because the people of Nineveh cried out to him. A few years ago, our very own Maddie Hardy walked into the emergency room at Chilliwack Hospital. She was feeling terrible. They ran a bunch of tests on her, and the doctor came back and he said, here's the deal, you got cancer. And it's bad. And what I mean by bad is that it's untreatable, and it's unbeatable. So the best advice that I can give to you, Maddie, is go home and get comfy. It's over. So the news starts to spread, and people around Chilliwack and people literally around the world fall down on their knees, and they start to pray for Maddie. And hours later, another doctor comes in to see Maddie and does a series of tests. And this doctor says, it's not unbeatable. It's not untreatable. We're going to beat this thing. And we were so happy. And I just remember having these conversations with people later, and I was thinking to myself, you know what? I would say this to people. I feel like going to find that first doctor and punch him right in the head. <laughs> You're like, is this the normal pastor, or do they have someone like this? <laughs> I mean, I'm so sorry. But I, but I, I, I feel like, like, nice bedside manner, bro. Thank you so much for your charming personality, you jerk. And I'm in the middle of a diatribe, and all of a sudden it hits me. God said, oh, the first doctor was right. He was telling the truth. And so was the second. Why do you pray? Well, number one, it's proper. It establishes in your life the sense of confident humility. And because it's powerful, prayer changes you and prayer changes circumstances. It doesn't change God's character, but it changes circumstances. Secondly, how do you pray? How do you pray? I've said this before. There's kind of three prayers that we all need to pray in. If you're taking notes, and by the way, I've been getting in a lot of trouble lately. People say I'm preaching over time, so I'm going to talk a little bit faster. You're not listening near fast enough, so you might want to start taking some notes, okay? <sighs> but I've said before, there's three types of pray, prayer that you need to pray. Help me, thank you, wow. Help me, thank you, wow. So if you're taking notes, you can write those down, but, but, but beside the first one that says help me, do me a favor, just scratch out the me. Because in... First Timothy chapter two here, God says, I want, I want you to pray petitions, but also requests. Another translation says, um, uh, uh, um, petitions, but also intercession. In other words, pray for you, for sure. Pray for you, and pray for other people too. Help. So yeah, pray for you. God, I'm not feeling well, I'm sick, please heal me. And I'm struggling to make rent, God. Would you, would you please help me? Would you please provide a job or an opportunity for me to make rent? God, I really, really like that girl. 
you know? And I was just thinking, like, could you, could you help me? Could you help her say yes when I ask her on a date? Let's talk about that one for a second. <laughs> so I'm gonna, it's probably worth noting at this point that if you're praying that prayer, I really need you to know this. God loves you. And God loves that girl also. And because he loves you and he loves her, his plan for her might not be you. <laughs> it's pretty important to state that because here's the deal. We don't treat God as a vending machine. Do you remember earlier when you thought I was kidding and I said, please, please, please don't speak in old English when you pray? I wasn't kidding. Don't use words that you would never use in regular conversation when you pray, especially in public, especially out loud. You know why? It makes people think there's something really weird going on and, and there's some secret language. And if you speak it just right, and you probably can't because you know what? You're not a church person like me. If you say it really right though, like I know the these and thous and the thines and all those things, then God will do exactly what you want him to do. I don't know. Prayer always ends with this, God, not my will, but your will. This is what I'm asking, Father. But sometimes you want to date that girl, and God says, no. I got something better for her, and for you, and for you. But we pray help prayers. We pray for ourselves, for sure, but we pray for others. God, I see that person is struggling. They're sick. Please heal them. God, I see that person is struggling to make rent. That, that person is struggling with anxiety and depression and discouragement. God, would you please bring a little bit of joy into their life? Please, God. Or we pray for other people spiritually. We pray for ourselves spiritually too, God. We say, we, we say God, I'm struggling with these temptations in my life and I feel like I'm getting beat up by them and I'm not seeing that power in my life. And it says in the Bible, God, that I don't have because I don't ask. So I'm really, really praying, God, that you would allow your power to play out in my life spiritually. But we also pray for other people. I don't know if you knew this, but every single week, there's people that come into this auditorium and they pray for you. They pray for everybody who watches this service online and everybody who attends in person. They pray that God would remove from them every barrier between his plan for them, which is that they would know him just a little bit better today and that they would find freedom. They pray that God would break down barriers. Whatever barriers our spiritual enemy has laid out for you, they prayed against them. They prayed against condemnation. They prayed against distraction. They prayed against discouragement. They're praying for you whether you're watching online or whether you're here in person, they're praying that nothing would get in the way of the plan that God has for you in this moment. It's a big deal. It's called intercession, praying on someone else's behalf. I would also say this. If you are somebody who would like to be a part of that, to pray, to pray for others, man, we would love that. You can text the keyword Pray, P-R-A-Y, to that number, 60-whatever it is, that number, you know, maybe you know it by now. But we'll do our best. If, if you're willing to come in one hour a week, we'll do our best to make sure that we get you in here one hour a week. It's a big deal. Does prayer matter? Well, yeah, if you want to win, it does. 
And if you're online, you're outside the area, and you'd be willing to pray just on your own one hour or more or whatever it is, we'd love to connect with you and get you a list of things that we would have you pray for, that God would remove barriers and set people free every single week because prayer matters. So how do we pray? How do we pray? We pray help prayers. And secondly, we pray thank you prayers. See, if you're a vision person, I know a lot, of, a lot of you are, whether you're online or in person, if you're a vision person, you're like, man, I, I can't stay here, I gotta get here, right? But if you're a vision person, once you get here, what do you think now? You think, oh yeah, and now, I gotta just keep coming here. And God says, no, 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 you need to call a timeout. Once you've gone from here to here, you need to stop for a second, and you need to pray and say, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me from there to there. And then ask him to show you what the next step is. Thank you prayers. One of the most amazing examples of that is, uh, is this Old Testament story. The people of Israel are in bondage in Egypt. They're enslaved, they're being murdered, they're being abused and they cry out to God for help. And God says, I'll, I will help you. He sends this guy named Moses and, and, and Moses is empowered by God to lead the people, and he leads the people out of bondage in Egypt. God does all these signs and wonders, and he actually leads them out through the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. They walk out on on dry land. They wander around the wilderness for 40 years, and then finally Moses has died, but this young kid, 80-year-old kid named Joshua, has taken over. Okay? And now, finally, after 40 years of wandering, they're going to cross into the Promised Land, from bondage into promise. Okay? And so the Jordan River, they got to cross the river. It's in full flood season. God says, hey, Joshua, send the priests to to stick their foot in the water. And as soon as they do, the water's going to stop. And it happens. And once again, the people of Israel walk through on dry land. Okay? So they all go through. They all go through. They're all entered the promised land. And Joshua's like, man, what a day. What a day. Good stuff. Good stuff, everybody. And God says, stop. Before the priests get out of the river, tell them to stand there and send 12 guys back and tell every one of them to grab the biggest stone that they can carry and bring it back to the promised land side and we're gonna set up a monument 12 stones high. And God says, every time you walk around and your kids or their kids or their kids or their kids or their kids see the 12 stones and go, what's the deal with the 12 stones? You tell them. You tell them what the deal is with the 12 stones. You tell them about how you cried out and God showed up. And he led you through the Red Sea and he led you with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He gave you food and drink and brought you through the Jordan River into the promised land. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I remember when Maddie was finally declared cancer free and a bunch of us went down to the Vedder River and we each got a Sharpie and a rock and we wrote, I wrote a bunch of stuff in my rock, but one of the things I wrote was thank you, thank you, thank you. Every morning after I'm done reading my Bible, I just set the, ti- set the timer on my phone for 15 minutes. And I pray help prayers, and I pray thank you prayers. I think you're gonna be pretty surprised, especially if you're a vision person that's always looking, I gotta get here, I gotta get here. If you just stop for a second, call a quick timeout, you're gonna be amazed at all the stuff, if you really think about it, that you have to be thankful for. 
So how do we pray? pray? Number one, we pray help. Number two, we pray thank you. And number three, we pray, we pray wow prayers, wow. It's one of the reasons we sing at church, by the way. One of the greatest examples of a wow prayer that I can think of is actually an old hymn. I'm gonna read it for you. It says this, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. So number one, we say wow at creation. You know what I mean? Like you climb, you climb up to the top of Mount Chiam. I jog up there a couple times a week myself. And you get up there and you look around and you go, wow. Like the same God who made all this thought me up, wow. You drive up to the Coquihalla. You get out and you look at the stars. And you say, wow. The same God who hung the stars in the sky has a plan for my today, my tomorrow, and my forever. Wow. Let's keep reading. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on that cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. You think about Jesus, and you say, wow. Wow, that God sent his son, that Jesus stepped into human history, he lived, he died, he rose again, so that my sins could be forgiven, so that I could have strength for today, hope for tomorrow, that stretches all the way into forever. And then you remember this, that the same Jesus that did all of that, if you were the only one in human history who needed to be rescued, he would have done it all for you. And you say, wow. The song goes on and says this, when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, when what joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, how great thou art. You think about forever. You think that there's gonna be a day when Jesus comes back and he makes all things new. New heaven, new earth. Every tear wiped away, every question answered where we're gonna be there 10,000 years, and after 10,000 years, I'm gonna look at you, and you're gonna look at me, and you're gonna say it, and it's crazy because it's true. 10,000 years in, you're gonna say this to me, and it's actually gonna be true. The best is still yet to come. And we say, wow. Wow. So why do we pray? Because it's proper, it establishes a confident humility in my life. Because it's powerful. God changes me, changes circumstances. How do we pray? We pray help, help. We pray thank you, and we pray wow. When do we pray? Let's keep reading in 1 Timothy chapter two. He, God, wants not only us, but everyone saved, you know? Everyone to get to know the truth we've learned. That there's one God and only one, and one priest mediator between God and us, Jesus, who offered himself in exchange for everyone held captive by sin, to set them all free. Eventually the news is gonna get out. This and this, and this only has been my appointed work, getting this news to those who have never heard of God, and explaining how it works by simple faith and plain truth. 
since prayer is at the bottom of all of this, what I want mostly is for men to pray, not shaking angry fists at enemies, but raising holy hands to God. And I want women to get in there with a man in humility before God, not primping before a mirror or chasing the latest fashions, but doing something beautiful for God and becoming beautiful doing it. When do we pray? Well, there's a principle in the Bible that talks about pray without ceasing, and that's huge, that's so important, that we actually invite God into every second of our day, every breath, everything, every choice, every decision, every interaction, for sure, pray without ceasing. But there's also a time for conversation. Right, to set aside some time after you read the Bible, whatever, once a day, in the morning, at night, whenever, just to have that conversation, to say help, to say thank you, to say wow. But Paul mentions here to Timothy that if we're gonna get along, if we're gonna be the church, if we're gonna be the people that we need to be, if we're gonna know God, if we're gonna find freedom, if we're gonna change the world, there's two specific times that you really need to lean into prayer. Just to give you a little bit of context, in that Ephesian church, there were some really combative guys. Okay? They were always looking to disagree disagreeably, to start a fight. Right? They wanted to win and they wanted you to lose. And Paul says, you gotta be careful. Now, I should also note, and I don't wanna make the women upset with me, whether you're watching online or in person, but that was first century Ephesus. Can I make a suggestion? In first century Ephesus, there was a problem with combative men. I think in 21st century Chilliwack, there's a problem with combative men and combative women. I think this message is for all of us. Paul says, when you're tempted to look at that person and think that they're the enemy, you need to call time out. Be before you raise your fist, you need to raise your hands in prayer because they are not your enemy. Let me say it again, they are not your, even if they disagree with me, yeah, even if they disagree with me, they are not your enemy. They just aren't. They're not. The Bible says that our enemy is spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's your enemy. And the more you're doing this at other people, the more you're getting crap kicked by spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's just the truth. Paul says, when you start to feel that way, you gotta pray. So, Mike, wait a minute. Last week, you said that we need to stand our ground. Yeah, yeah, you do. You need to stand your ground, right? So there's someone slandering, or there's somebody gossiping, or there's somebody manipulating, or there's somebody lying. You gotta stand your ground. You gotta go, whoa, wait, 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 wait. I've talked about you. I've, I've talked about you. I'm gossiping too. That's great. I've talked to you 27 times about this. You gotta stop. And until you do, man, I, I can't hang out with you. Here's the key. Listen, this is so important. Here's the key. Now, what you can't do is pull a Jonah. Right? Go set up your lawn chair, have a tailgate, and pray for their destruction. Because 120,000 people in Nineveh really, really matter to God. And that person that you're tempted, listen, that person that you're tempted, that we're all tempted, that person that you're tempted to make the enemy, God really, really, really loves them. And so your prayer for them is, God, please help them to know you better. Help, help set them free, God, that they would live the life, that they would become the person, that they would be everything that you created them to be. Yeah, you stood your ground, that's great. Now pray. Paul says, anytime you're tempted to make it this, 
You pray. Also, in the Ephesian church, well, in the city of Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was the temple of Artemis. Now, Artemis was a goddess of fertility, sexuality, and sensuality. And because of that, the worship in the temple of Artemis uh, involved women, especially, wearing their hair just a certain way, wearing their makeup just a certain way, and wearing their clothing pretty provocative. And that was coming into the church. So vanity was a little bit of a problem in first century Ephesus, at the risk of making some guys mad at me. In 21st century Chilliwack, vanity is a problem for some women, and vanity is a problem for some men. So this message is for all of us. Paul says, when you're tempted to be vain. Another, another way to explain uh, vanity would be this. When you're tempted to be superficial. When you're tempted to measure yourself by how you look, how much money you got, or how popular you are, he says, Paul says, in that moment, you got to pray. You gotta pray, it's really, really important. When you are tempted to be superficial, to measure yourself by, or someone else, by how much, uh, how beautiful they are, how much money they got, or how popular they are, Paul says, oh wow, now is the time to pray. Because here's the truth. Vanity doesn't work. Superficiality doesn't work. Because no, no matter how beautiful you are, you're never quite beautiful enough. No matter how much money you got, you never have quite enough. No matter how popular you are, it's never quite enough to meet your deepest needs. So Paul says, when you start to roll towards that way of thinking, that's your moment. This is it. This is your time. Pray. Pray that confessional prayer again. God, I need you. I need you. I need you. Because no matter how good looking I am, it doesn't work. And yet you say I'm beautiful and that's enough. No matter how much money I got, it's not enough. But, but, but God, you say that you'll provide for me and that's enough. And no matter how popular I get, it just doesn't feel like enough. And yet you say that you see me and you love me and that is enough. Paul says, raise your hands in prayer. Man, I love that. Maybe you've noticed that sometimes when we sing at Southside, people raise their hands. There's a lot of different reasons for it, but I'll give you two today. One is just this concept, it's a posture of reaching up to your heavenly father. You know what I mean? So that he can pick you up. But do you get the humility in that? Do you get it? You say, you say God, I need you. My beauty isn't gonna pick me up, but you can. My money isn't gonna lift me up, but you can. My popularity isn't gonna lift me up, but you can, and you will, and I need you, and I love you. The second expression when people left, lift their hands is like this expression of surrender. God, I get it. I can't do this on my own. I can't. I need you. There's this old Hebrew word that they gave, the title that they gave to God, which was Jehovah Jireh. It's such a cool word, Jehovah Jireh. You know what it means? God will provide. My God will provide. That's the point. That's the point. I need you. That's prayer. And so what I asked the band to do today was just sing us a song called Jaira as a prayer, as a confession, 
And if you're comfortable with it, we're all gonna stand and raise our hands and ask him to lift us up. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.